0: This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. Go to FUBARradio.com for more details.
1: FUBAR Radio presents... FUBAR Radio
2: presents... Politics on FUBAR. Hello and welcome to Politics on FUBAR. It's Asa Bennett here and, uh, well... Today we're going to be talking about what's meant to be a very controversial topic, immigration. The I word, yes. Now, if you listen to people like Nigel Farage, he'll say, You can't talk about immigration, they won't let you talk about it. You know, the establishment apparently wants to silence you. But this is why on FUBAR we'll be happy to talk at great length, nonetheless. You know, you may see it talking about in Question Time, and Farage himself a star of such a show is happily banging on about Brussels, immigration, and all the rest of it. Nonetheless, it is a theme, you know, that over the last few days, many more things have been seemingly unsettled. You know, at Glastonbury, you found Jeremy Corbyn, sort of, uh, you know, he was che- talking to many crowds indeed, and among the crowds, there uh, apparently was Channel 4's Jon Snow, reportedly shouting, fuck the Tories, and he, he claims he has no recollection amid all this mania, but then, you know, with all the exhilaration that happened at the festival, perhaps what seized the most attention was Jeremy Corbyn's speech, and that he was thinking of immigration in that sense, too, targeting people like Donald Trump, the President of the United States, with his travel ban that's now going its way through the supreme courts and after his legal battles he's now going to form some sort of ban at least so he's a happy bunny isn't he but nonetheless corbyn wanted to have words of warning for him he was saying that we should be building bridges not walls which obviously is a lovely line you know very good sort of anti-trump uh sort of thing but then given the votes recently on the commons on brexit i i almost wonder do people realize actually Jeremy Corbyn, he wants his own sort of hard Brexit that people might think means that free movement, for example, that mean that that the EU right, that allows so many people from across the continent to come to Britain freely, that he's wanting to pull that drawbridge up in some senses because the Labour Manifesto has a line in it saying free movement as we know it will end. And, of course, that implies that, yes, he wants to respond to those worried about immigration. So in the same sense, Corbyn, while uh, giving giving Trump a punch in the eye, figuratively speaking, rest assured, although Some people might wish to otherwise uh instead he he wants to do his own sort of uh firming up at the borders, closing things down, making sure to sort of tighten sort of security and so it's something that many people might feel, and indeed with the votes that happened. Jeremy Corbyn actually is quite serious about this whole hard Brexit malarkey, by the way, because that's why when there was the vote on uh, the sort of Queen's speech of various amendments put forward by Labour MPs, one from Chaka Ramana saying inviting MPs to uh, bind Britain into the single market which would have uh, forced it to accept free movement into continuation and also the customs union, which would also mean that it couldn't necessarily do trade deals as much as it would like, and this is something that you can only be a member of if you are still part of the EU with all that comes with it. Corbyn didn't take that lightly, no. Instead, though, been quite a few sort of sackings now. Of ministers who dared defy the whip, or in, Le- in Labour's case, politely being asked to abstain on these amendments. You know, they backed it, they wanted to say, let's stay in the single market, and oops, they are no longer on the team now. So, he is very serious about this whole sort of uh, clamping down immigration, in a fair, and his words, in a fair and managed sense. And at the same point, Theresa May, she was trying to extend a hand towards EU migrants to show that she's been very friendly and that she is not going to pull up the drawbridge, telling uh, sort of people to the Brexit negotiations, that actually she will offer a, a, a generous offer. That means that if they've arrived before Article 50 was invoked, they can stay. They're fine. They're settled. Obviously, it remains to be seen if that that remains the case for those who arrived during the Brexit negotiations. The EU would like it to the cut-off date for sort of safe, sort of lo- safe livelihoods to be after Britain leaves in March 2019. Theresa May wants it all up in the air, in a sense. She wants to have it maybe earlier. Obviously, it will be under Britain's control in her view. So we will have to see. I mean. Get the One thing with the Brexit negotiations is that the EU, they've said that they will, you know, they're they're trying to talk kind words as well in exchange, saying that they're minded to reciprocate the offer in generosity. But we don't know yet because the details in Brussels negotiations in the Brexit mantra to remember is that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. So while Theresa May might be being kind, some people might be saying not enough towards uh, migrants and with the rights and being fast enough to help them resettle here with suggestions they might have to have their own sort of ID cards and papers in order to work uh, you know, and, and settle. They'd like it to be sort of faster, perhaps. But then, you know, this may all be jeopardised as we go down the line. So in months to come, who knows what may get thrown up in the air and might sort of derail things. And so to explore immigration and all the associated sort of uh, issues that spring forth from it, we'll be having an extended interview later in the show with uh, the Conservative MAP, David Campbell-Bannerman. And uh, he also understands, in a sense, um, the, the sort of, well, reason why people might be worried about immigration, particularly because he used to be, he's got rare distinction of being someone who left the Conservatives for UKIP and then came back. So he's seen it, he's he's met Nigel Farage and all that, he's disgusted, and he's uh, back in the sort of centre-right, you might think. So I'll be curious to see what he has to say. And after that, we'll be debating uh, this week's question of, is immigration a problem in Britain, and why? Now, if you're listening to all this thinking, my God, you know, he's just rabbiting on of all these things, making really naff Nigel Farage impressions, I have to sort of set him straight, by all means, do, tweet me, at Radio or email politics at fubarradio.com. And so, coming up next, I'll be reviewing this week's headlines with Flora Carr. And we'll be speaking to her, though, after this short break. Pooh Bar Radio presents.
1: Show with
2: Clark and James. Emma Watson said that acting categories
1: shouldn't be separated between men and women. They should just be best actor and then best supporting actor. You know, a man or woman should be able to get that. Here's the issue. Currently, for every one role that a woman gets, seven men get a role. So if you suddenly take away two awards, surely you're narrowing the odds of women winning awards. You know, it's, it's fine for her because she has millions of dollars. She's She's got her award. She's up there winning awards. I just... I,
3: I don't want women to be frozen out. Every Friday.
1: My show with Noel Clark and Johanna
4: James.
3: <laughs> From 4pm. FUBAR Radio. No. Um, Very much
2: welcome back. We've got the journalist Flora Carr in the studio sort of for the Week in Review. Welcome.
1: Nice to be here.
2: Now, um, what what's interesting to you today among the many headlines we have?
1: Um, I think the Trump travel ban mm. um, is really interesting. Um, it comes into effect now for six countries. Which um, ones? Uh, Iran, Libya, Syria Somalia, Sudan and Yemen mm. so all mainly Muslim countries and it's uh, resulted in uh, quite a lot of controversy um, talks about how it's going to incite further Islamophobia, how it's very sub- un-American, unconstitutional um, and actually uh, David Miliband uh, just weighed in on the uh ban and has said that um, it will negatively affect a lot of innocent people
2: yes which i, I
1: do agree with oh
2: well, completely but obviously for trump he, he doesn't really care about that he embraces the controversy because in his opinion it is just going to be great we need to do this you know to claim our borders <laughs> it's the trap i mean it's his, his people who wanted him to get tough on immigration so he's probably quite of delighted. course it
1: is a um, a big triumph for him and mm. for his administration um But definitely not for the rest of the world. So
2: many times by the courts. And, you know, this is the characteristic of his leadership, no, isn't it? That he's just trying to troll everyone else.
1: Definitely. I think it was revised in um, March following um, several legal issues. Mm. Um, So now this sort of smaller, much more nuanced version will be coming into effect.
2: But he'll pretend it's still great. It's still like oh, the Oh, well, of course, so I'm sure he's yeah.
1: tweeting right now.
2: Oh my days, yes, because we've given all the characteristic <laughs> stuff he's been saying about sort of, uh, it, the presenters and bleeding from facelifts and oh, awful things, you know. So he's obsessed with just personal attacks, anyway. Disgusting. Um, but no, I'm clearly just trying to make him tweet about the show. I mean, obviously, uh, POTUS, if you want. Well, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, this is just totally sad. I, the loser, Bennett. I don't know what he's doing. Um, but no, enough about that. Um, so let's talk about less Trumpish things. Cause uh, you know, more serious yeah, matters. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've seen that you've got a story about teachers at every school in the country now will receive special training in mental health issues.
1: Yes, so this is a story that um, over the next three years, uh, 3,000 uh, school staff will be given uh, specialist mental health training. Hmm. And this, of course, comes after um, Briony Gordon for The Telegraph, her interview with uh, Prince Harry and um, the sort of increased interest in uh, the mental health issue. Mm. Um, so that I think that's brilliant and I've been talking to friends who are um, training to be teachers and they're all very pro this legislation.
2: Mm, okay, because I mean, would, would it cost a lot then in that sense? I mean, people say you should be throwing more money at these things and actually the, it's interesting because um, sort of, the Democratic Unionist Party, this sort of deal that went on, the £1 yeah. billion pound bong you might call it, <laughs> um, they actually highlighted something fascinating which made me sort of a pause for thought, which is that five, I think it's £500 million of it is going towards mental health services in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And they have among the highest suicide rates there, in a sense. So actually, what, you know, it, it's sort of... Curious, when we talk about sort of mental health issues, people sort of... At least there are moments like this where we do think, you know, well, amid the kind of hung parliament shenanigans and all that, it's good that there's action being done, in a sense. You know, when there's m- when money is the one thing that would sort of be needed for this plan, it's good that you know, other people are benefiting in other ways already, in a sense. You know.
1: I think um, this will be... Uh excellent for Theresa May's profile. Uh, She is sort of hanging by a thread Hmm. at the minute in terms of uh, sort of public scrutiny over many issues. Um, And I think um, what she said about this legislation is that it will sort of help end the stigma. Hmm. And I think it is so high on um, sort of on everyone's agenda at the minute at the minute, the medias, the publics um, that I think she'd be foolish not to jump well, on this she, she bandwagon. She says one of those
2: burning injustices, mental health, that she wants to really sort of tackle and well, the, the, was, it, was it the parity of esteem I think the phrase is. Um, so that the government really is taking it seriously and hmm. uh, now we find, I mean it's, it's, it's sort of tragic in some senses because now the mental health agenda risks being sort of thrown out the window just because she has to obsess about Brexit.
1: Um, I don't... I don't think it will. I think I think as I say it, hmm. it is very high on the agenda for everyone. Um, I, I really hope it isn't.
2: Hmm. Well, of course not. I mean, obviously the well, I would hope similarly. You know, you know it's <laughs> important given the, these sort of things that you can remain high. And I th- imagine, well, let, let me let me let's be charitable for a second. That as much as I'm saying, oh no, the government has to obsess about Brexit. That you know, mm-hmm. it's they're not so one-track-minded. They can think about other things too. They can think about, you know, the services in Northern Ireland, services in England now, hopefully will come with that too. Um, And, you know, because given, there's a lot of social progress over the last few weeks, actually, given that. Given, I think, Stella Creasy um, had that amendment for sort of allowing women to have, well, a book coming from Northern Ireland to have abortions in England.
1: Yeah, uh, it was interesting you mentioned uh, Northern Ireland. Um, Hmm. This is the news that, following uh, Stella Creasy's Amendment um, that that they, they the Tories have now done a, a U-turn on their uh, policy not to uh, give Northern Irish women um, free access to NHS abortions, mm. um, and so if you were talking about cost. This will cost, um, I think, an estimated one million a year. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think again, it's a um, incredible thing and a real um, triumph for not only Stella Creasy um, but uh, abortion campaigners. Um, and Northern Irish women.
2: Hmm. I mean, do you, it doesn't. I mean, it's curious that because for a Labour MP, you know, you're a backbencher in that sense mm-hmm. to sort of be able to put policy in like that, just
1: yeah, get it, it into the government. It, it wow. really does show uh, the power of the backbenchers following the hung parliament and the
2: weakness of the government. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yes. it sort of seems to be if you can persuade a few a few Tory MPs that you're on the right in a sense, that's fine. You got policy, well done. You know, it's uh, all power to Stella and everyone else.
1: Yeah d- well uh, that wasn't the case with the um the uh So
2: Chuck Schumer's amendment was it? No. No. Yeah. Um
1: but as well, you that's, say, that's th-
2: more factional though whereas this one sort of you know this one's that sort of thing of this one you, like,
1: pulls at the heartstrings yes
2: because so, yeah. it's uh, the best defence people can sort of say some slightly weird you know let's not interfere in Northern Irish you know, politics oh you know don't want to try and like sort of undercut them in services if they ban it over there we can't we can't stop offering these things over here it's very that, that sounds yeah. very sort of nitpicking and I can imagine that's why they would worry about it and not Stand in the way too much.
4: Well, the
1: the the, the D U P themselves did not stand in the way of this. I think what they said was that um,
2: we have our money. We're going off to the bank we, now. <laughs> we
1: have our money, and and also this is a case for N H S England. Yes. to deal with.
2: No, that, that, is, that was one of those curious things because um, at the same point with the government. I mean, do you think the sort of are you reassured by how the Brexit negotiations are going? Then it's uh, as
1: a as a young person. Or? Yeah. Well, as a
2: young person, definitely. <laughs> sort of. In many senses. As I someone- think,
1: I think, ob- obviously it's worrying that um, uh, a government that's having to be propped up by the DUP hmm. um, is sort of paving the way for this Brexit. Hmm. Um, we, we don't really, Theresa May has really shot herself in the foot, hasn't she, in so many ways.
2: I mean, how how's your process been? I mean, since uh, last June. Because obviously it's only been about a year since Britain mm-hmm. voted to leave the European Union. I imagine you're pretty distraught the day after. Um, is that, I mean, you, well, let, you, let's put it this way. Tell me about your process of thinking as the months have gone on. In a sense, how have you evolved in thinking? Okay, we voted. God, this is a great unknown. And then maybe you thought, okay, Conservative majority. At least she knows what she's
3: doing. Oh, what the hell is this?
1: It's, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I um, I uh, helped the Observer New Review um. On the sort of, big spread on first-time voters mm. in the run-up to the election, and I spoke to many, many young people um, about how they felt about the upcoming election, and it was interesting. This was done at the beginning of the election campaign, and a lot of people, um, whether or not they were sort of eighteen or twenty-four, they, they or no matter what their uh, voting sort. Of, preferences were, they they were sort of um positive towards Theresa May.
4: Hmm.
1: Um in that she seemed a, a stable pair of hands. Hmm. And of course that 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 completely overturned by the end of the uh campaign. And it it seems bizarre that at the beginning of this election campaign, it everything was based on Theresa May as a strong and stable personality. And now hmm. that's completely overturned and changed. And
2: now we just sort of think, God, she's running through wheat fields and she's yeah. uh, uh, always uh, it's kind of every vote by vote, that's how she's surviving these yeah, days. Yeah, and, and
1: going back to your question, that mm-hmm. that definitely makes me feel more nervous about the Brexit negotiations and I'm sure people across the country are feeling the same way.
2: Mm. I mean, do you remember Andrea Leadsom on Newsnight the other night saying that we should be all more patriotic about these things? Oh, you know, God, of, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, well, how did you feel about that? Should we not be getting the bunting out and saying, come on, Britain? Let's, it was a really
1: Soviet era, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, one versus
2: 27. We can have them. Yeah. Sort of, it's, uh, this is clearly how negotiations have to bizarre, go.
1: Bizarre, ridiculous, and frankly rather David scary. David Davis
2: mud wrestling with Michelle Barnier. Sort of. one uh, an image. I mean, let me just take it away from the lurid <laughs> and onto the more sort of genuinely serious matters. Because um, you picked out another story, which given we're talking about Theresa May, a former home secretary, she knows, you know, everything to the home office. She should be seeing these things. It seems that the home office has got in a bit of a spot of bother now because, um the guardian reports that immigration detainees have brought a legal challenge against 1 pound an hour slave wages
1: yes this was a, a little story that i picked up about um how yes uh 10 people who've been detained in uk immigration centers have launched this legal challenge against home office um for paying them just 1 pound an hour in wages now if you bear in mind that the uh, national minimum wage
4: hmm.
1: um outside of london is 7 pound 50 an hour, detainees who who are not prisoners, they haven't committed any crimes, uh, they're being paid paid £1 an hour by the Home Office for very menial jobs, so for example, toilet cleaning.
4: Hmm.
1: Um, On the one hand, these jobs are optional, they're not mandatory, they sign up to do them.
4: Hmm.
1: Um, So that's the argument that the Home Office is presenting. Um, But then on the other hand, the detainees are arguing um, that the food at the center is un- inedible. Uh, they need this money in order to uh, provide some basic food uh, because they 're given sort of something like seventy p a day whilst mm. in the de- detention center to live off um, and they 're saying that that 's just not enough
2: I can imagine it 's sort of a and yet where do they go after that in a sense because it 's not like they can um of just go on the job market again and find something else in a sense they're almost stuck with it
1: no and 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 they are stuck in these detention centers uh, so they don't really have any choice
2: mm, no it, it's so sad with that because um the government i imagine they don't get sort of the living wage or anything anyway they don't qualify for sort of the government can say oh look, personal tax allowance. no they, do, they, they yeah. don't
1: qualify for this uh Minimum wage, so that means that they're getting less than a seventh of the national minimum wage.
2: That is shocking. My word. Um, well, in that case, in the time we have, then do you have any, any other stories you wish to highlight, though? Sort of uh, on Brexit or sort of how the poli- how, how politics is going now in that how sense? How politics
1: given is going now? Did you enjoy from, the Glastonbury skin? Oh, yeah.
2: um, with it's cool. not the token millennial, far from it. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm very much woke as well. <laughs> now, Um but in seriousness. Sort of uh, were the, you there
1: yes, the the I I wasn't there unfortunately. I would dearly love to go to Glastonbury. But um mm. yeah, I think everyone in the country watched uh, Corbyn make that speech and it was definitely very rousing and we mm. we heard um we heard where he got his inspiration uh, for the um, for the many, not the few. Hmm. Um, what was the what was the poem? Was it um, oh, was it the... was it Shelley?
2: Yes, yeah, Shelley. Shelley. Yes. He likes to say we we are lions, we rise. Yes, and sort of, yeah, uh, that was it. Undefeatable. Oh, it's feisty. Po-
1: Stirring stuff.
2: Yes, I mean I, I'm actually told uh, by sort of my my steam producer that it's actually maybe sort of Percy Shelley. Yeah, yeah, so Percy yeah, Shelley. Yeah, because yeah. Well, So actually, we know our poetry now. Don't worry. We we'll, we'll do a <laughs> recycle maybe another time, perhaps. Sort of because. Yeah. Uh, I think clearly with Glasgow. Um did you find it quite funny as well the the John Snow thing when he was uh ro- claimed to have said, you know, fuck the Tories and then someone on channel four last night saying, well, not everyone hates Tories as much as you do, John. And he are just getting <laughs> quite cross. I mean, perhaps it's that kind of awful hangover you might get after a festival. He is you know, maybe so grouchy to be reminded of what he got up to.
1: <laughs> yeah, may- I mean um I think it's a mistake to... Maybe, maybe he was talking to the uh, the sort of young people hmm. at Glastonbury, but I think it is a mistake to assume that all young people voted Labour.
2: Basically, just don't pander. That's the lesson we now yeah. have. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you want to get on, just don't still go around saying, oh, yeah. The objective. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the lesson that's for us generalism. all. journalism, yeah. Quite right. And I think on that moment of consensus, <laughs> I think we should probably wrap up. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And so, uh, you know, coming up next, well, I'd just like to play a little sort of package, actually, sort of on, um, on, on sort of Donald Trump about what he's been up to with the Supreme Court wrangling that we've had over the last few days.
3: We must immediately suspend immigration from any nation that has been compromised by terrorism until such time as proven vetting mechanisms have been put in place we don't want them in our country i only want to admit individuals into our country who will support our values and love our people anyone who endorses violence hatred or oppression is not welcome in our country and never ever will be I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. We want to ensure that we are not admitting into our country the very threats our soldiers are fighting overseas. I am privileged to be here with you. And I promise that our administration will always have your back. We will always be with you.
2: And now, welcome back to the show. It's uh, Asa Bennett still here, and I have the pleasure to have Sean Kemp on the line, former special advisor to Nick Clegg. Hello. Hello. Now, um, first off, I'd like to apologize for, for playing a Donald Trump clip in advance. I'm not trying to compare you to him. I'm just, you know, sort of keeping reader, uh, listeners updated on what's been happening. Sort of, you know, although I imagine you obviously, you know, what we're about to have, our discussion will be just as great, like totally great anyway. So um, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, now, on uh, sort of this week, we're focusing on immigration and sort of xenophobia, right wing attitudes, in a sense. And uh, you've seen well, recent history, there's had, you know, UKIP 2013 de- terrifying the Tories and now they've died away. In a sense, it all seems to have gone towards the mainstreams of Labour Party and Conservatives um, and Liberal Democrats. Now, they're, they're the only real party, it seems, actually being open to refugees and open to immigration, in a sense, willing to bang that drum
0: yeah and you can see how the colossal amount of electoral success that brings mm. um i remember in, even in 2010 when i was uh, head of media for lib dems and sort of at the a at sort of height of Klegmania, which sounds like i'm describing a fictional world now i know but uh, mm. uh, even at that point what really during the general election where briefly we were ahead in the polls what actually sort of really hurt the liberal democrats was our immigration policy was the fact we had an uh, an open immigration policy that we'd proposed an amnesty for illegal immigrants who've been here for sort of ten years and so on. Um and the moment you are seen as championing those causes um, mm. politically, it's absolute poison, frankly, in large swathes of the country. Um and that's what I think everyone comes after you system. then. Even though Boris yeah, everyone, Johnson
2: everyone proposed do. The amnesty as well, I seem yeah. to recall. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, you're just you. You just paint a very big target on yourself. The other two parties um, really hammer the message home, and they really hammer it home in the national media and so on. But where it really comes across is actually on the doorstep. Mm. Um, you know, your canvassers and you know, that will just come back all the time and just say, all we are hearing about is people raising immigration as as a policy issue. Um, and in 2010, it absolutely clobbered the Lib Dems and. Really, since then, yes, the Lib Dems have continued to be that, that party that talks about that, but there's a reason why Labour and the Tories don't talk about immigration in those terms, and it's not because they don't see some of the economic reasons why, for example, an amnesty might be a sensible policy, but mm. they know that politically it would just be a, a sort of cataclysmic disaster for them to to do it.
2: Oh, that's interesting, because um, I remember drawing on your time as part of the, during the coalition years, um, there must have been a lot of friction on that issue, given that um, only the other day, George Osborne, the new editor of the Evening Standard, uh, said a claim that Theresa May had sort of overruled the cabinet when they wanted to, um, when, when David Cameron and George Osborne wanted to have a uh, sort of, am, well, what was it extend a hand of friendship towards EU migrants, and she was putting her foot down. So, I mean, during the Liberal Democrat years, when they were in the corridors of power, that must have been even more fractious.
0: It was an absolute nightmare, and all from the Home Office, quite frankly.
4: Hmm.
0: Um, and there were two two main issues. One was the pledge for um, to keep immigration down and net immigration down to the tens of thousands, um, which was a Conservative Party promise the manifesto. In the coalition agreement, we'd kind of watered it down, so that it wasn't a promise. Hmm. Um, and there was this constant back and forth and really tedious, sort of sick of it type arguments that I would have with press officers and so on, removing specific wording about that pledge. That went on for years. Hmm. Um, just that ins and outs of do we actually, tens of thousands, that's not a government policy, and they were trying to sort of sneak it back in. It was absurd. But the big, more meaty issue hmm. was about policies, like you said, about trying to be more and a more open country, and, and things like encouraging not, not just EU immigration, like students coming over from India, for example, with the amount of people who are needed to work in the science sector, for example, mm. where the rows between the business and department and the Treasury and the Home Office about what the immigration policy should be was kind of one of the long sort of running sores of coalition all the way through those five years. Mm. And not necessarily just Lib Dem V it would be more... Lib Dems and sort of Tories in favour of that kind of more open borders more sort of business friendly attitude mm. and Theresa May and who just wants a much more hardline immigration policy. That, would, that ran all the way
2: through. It's probably the most. But then you're talking about the rally although I remember there was one policy that did sort of escape completely uh, clearly and hard to forget in a sense um, which was the, the go home vans when the Home Office sent them round yes. and Jeremy Brown I think was Lib Dem Minister there. So what, what, why did you guys let that happen?
0: Uh, that, was, that was a question we all asked ourselves when we saw the pictures of them. Um, I never got to the bottom of what happened with the immigration bans, I'll be honest, despite having um, launched a furious quest. We definitely didn't know them. I was working, um, well, I was working number 10, but I was part of, sort of Nick Clegg's team. We mm. certainly weren't aware of them until we sort of literally saw the photos in the media. I'm not sure if Jeremy Brown signed it off or if it just never crossed his desk. It wouldn't surprise me if it never crossed his desk.
2: Mm, so they sort of kept um, it to themselves, yeah.
0: Yeah, the Home Office then was run... I mean, a lot of the things that people read about how uh, Theresa May and then sort of her two uh, chief aides as well, like Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill, mm. like how they ran Downing Street, like a lot of centralised control and no-one else knew anything. That was pretty much how the Home Office was run as well. So, I, I, you know, it was one of those ones that just kind of completely blindsided us. And, it, and that's one of the problems with... Sort of being in coalition is that that, that things can happen that you almost you're not aware of, mm. um, and you sort of got the blame for them. And but I never really got to the bottom how that happened. They, there was such a huge controversy about it. We sort of kicked off, um, and then they were swiftly sort of sort of removed. But that sort of stance, that sort of attitude, that was how Theresa May that was her whole approach. Immigration was the one issue for her.
2: Hmm. I mean, do you um, think that's indicative think, of her style of leadership, in a sense? She'd do something you know, maybe unplanned, atrocious, that she'd only have considered with Nick Timothy. People would then would laugh at her, and then she would, would draw back on it, like the social care sort of attempt. The, it seems to... Yeah,
0: she, I, I would say that the Vans are different to the social care attempt. I, I think there's, there is similarity in the style of a very small group of people making decisions. Hmm. Um, what I would say is the difference is that the, the Vans um i thought were terrible and sent an awful message i'm not sure politically in mm. the sense of appealing to a large swathe of the country they've probably have gone down quite well frankly
4: i, I suspect if you
0: i suppose you polled them those vans saying if you're here illegally or whatever you know you go home mm. um I, I think they would have gone down quite well in a kind of, you know, if you'd suggested doing that during a general election a speech, like the poll bounce whilst the social care policy was more, actually, politically it was a vote loser.
2: Yeah, no attacking um, their base, definitely. But um, but
0: you're right, it's about the style of government and how she ran things. I think it was indicative.
2: Because at the same point, with her tone on immigration, I mean, I know that Vince Cable, he definitely, he fought the good fight for open, liberal Britain in the business department, and yet so Theresa May later, she had this habit of, of building up, of whenever she goes to a Conservative conference, she'd make sort of speeches that I remember Rachel Johnson described one as sort of sounding like it came out of the National Front or something. And that sort of, you know, th- that thing about citizens of nowhere and then c- you are you, global c- citizens. Oh, God, we're going to get rid of them. And Amber Rudd now saying, oh, we're going to, well, previously saying we're going to have uh, businesses do lists of immigrants, drop lists of um, yes. immigrants. Yeah. I mean, w- wow. W- what <laughs> like you didn't stop, but you clearly didn't sort of like, get her to see the light then. You know, that sort of working together sort of didn't change her.
0: No, and they look. They know and the Conservative Party as well. They know immigration is a big political issue. There are mm. votes in founding tough on immigration. And uh, I thought the Amber Rudd one was interesting. There we'll have sort of lists that businesses will have to keep lists because you know that's not really that's not really her politics. Actually, mm. she's actually a more kind of open borders type politician. And it sounded like her just desperately trying to sound like she was tough, mm. and then weirdly getting the tone wrong. So sort of everyone went, "Hang on, this sounds absolutely appalling." Theresa May, when she was a Home Secretary and then Prime, she was an interesting one because she was very tough on immigration and particularly illegal immigration, but then she would balance it a lot of the times with, for example, what she would say to the police about their stop and search powers, for example, Mm. where she would say quite tough things to them about that. So she was quite. I'm going to say she's quite skillful, and that sort of implies a level of calculation. It might mean that's just generally what she believed as well. But she managed to balance it quite well. Mm-hmm. But when she talked about immigration, even though she says things, um, sometimes I strongly disagreed with, you kind of got the sense that that was actually what she believed. Amber Rudd, I think, is interesting as Home Secretary because I'm not sure she quite believed it, and that's where I think sometimes when she missteps in immigration, it's because she's trying to sound. Sort of tougher than she is, it's kind of a sort hmm. of a pretend toughness. I think with
2: her. I mean, did, did you did you work with her at all privately? Did you hear about her and the grapevine? But Theresa May. Amber Rudd.
0: Amber Rudd. Um, all you hear about Amber Rudd is that she's considered to be, well, from with my sort of liberal Democrat perspective, she's one hmm. of the ones. Say, oh, she's one of the like the, she's one of the, like, the, the better the nicer ones. Like, yes. More open borders. Yeah. They keep
2: making us say all these awful ghastly things. You know, she, clearly, she doesn't have a backbone to stand up to uh, Number Ten with.
0: Well, I just think she knows the way the political wind is blowing, um, to be honest, and, and it's not, it doesn't, it never sounds pleasant when you describe politicians like that. But the, the, the fact is, that all politics is about compromise. Hmm.
2: Um, Although if I could ask it, you about someone who doesn't sort yeah. of compromise, in that case, or a final <laughs> question, Sir Vince Cable, you know, the, mm-hmm. it seems the, the heir apparent to the Liberal Democrat leadership, you know, are, are you delighted that he's just going to be anointed
0: well, I would have wanted Joe Swinson as leader. Mm. Um, I, I, I thought Joe's great. I thought she could have done it now if she'd wanted to. She decided not. It's a shame. I think for what the Lib Dems need, look, the Lib, what Vince Cable does bring is he's a known face. He's a known voice. The really tough thing when you've got a few MPs as Lib Dems, is just getting anyone to notice you, quite frankly. I mean, it's like forget about the nuances of policy positions and whatnot. You just, can you get on telly? and Do people Mm. know who you are? At least Vince brings that. He he can sort of ensure that the Lib Dems don't get completely drowned out over the next couple of years, because the really interesting stuff isn't going on with the Lib Dems. The really interesting stuff is in the Conservative and Labour Party. So Mm. someone who is at least a sort of, people know who he is and he's a recognizable figure. That
2: nice man and, who danced on the telly. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. I think it brings some advantages like that. I, I think some of the bigger problems that Lib Dems about who they actually are. There are some mm. sort of existential questions that Lib Dems about actually what kind of party are they? Who are their core voters? You know, when it, when everyone's talking, a lot of people talking at the moment about how much they'd like to see a centrist party, mm. and they never for one moment go, "Oh, hang on, we could just sort of join the Lib Dems." You could just has, vote Liberal Democrat. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, when people aren't even thinking like that way about the party, there's some really big issues that've mm. got to be gripped with, and I and, think that's probably going to be a much longer-term project than how we actually shape the party. That. Is it's something that people see as a tenable, sort of hmm. centrist party, because at the moment I'm not sure they do, if I'm blunt.
2: Well, I'm sure that, you know, at least the Vince will be able to sort of take it on and perhaps hand it over to Joe Swenson at a later time. I, I, soon, yeah.
0: I suspect that's the plan. Well, I, they're vehemently denying it, but I strongly suspect that's the plan. Well,
2: we'll look forward to seeing, uh, you know, if, if you're right in that case. So thank you so much for your time, Sean.
4: No worries. Thank you very much.
2: Bye now. And so that was uh, Sean Kemp, the former special advisor to Nick Clegg. uh, And so a man who's seen things from the coalition and he lives to tell the tales. Now, um, if you've been listening to all this and thinking uh, you may actually want to tweet more, by all means do, as at FUBAR Radio, because we've got a poll going where we're keen to find out your thoughts on is immigration a problem in Britain? You know, what do you think? And actually, many of you so far, the majority, uh, have been saying, no, actually, it's vital to society. And a good fraction, sort of uh, perhaps uh, otherwise saying that there are bigger issues. No one yet is saying, actually, yes, and we should build a wall and that not, uh, yet again, sort of look, any of you out there who think that actually no, it's a, a Darwinian survival of the fittest if so, that answer is, n- no one's picking that yet, but so, it's a, you know, very much getting an interesting sense of your views as we're going on through the show, and so uh, coming up, we'll have next have a proper studio debate sort of, you are know, to and fro-ing galore um, we'll be joined in the studio by Carl Sharrow, the architect, satirist and Middle East commentator and Sundar Katwala, the director of British Future, and but first, in case you missed Jeremy Corbyn's speech at Glasgow. So here he is speaking rather passionately and conveniently about walls.
3: Look on the wall right over there that surrounds this wonderful festival. And there's a message on that wall for President Donald Trump. And you know what it says? Build bridges, not walls. Let's stop the denigration of refugees, people looking for a place of safety in a cruel and dangerous world. They are all all human human beings just like all of us here today, looking for a place of safety and looking to make their contribution to the future of all of us. Racism in any form divides, weakens and denies us the skills and brilliance of people who are being discriminated against in just the same way that sexism does, be it in lower pay for women, less opportunities for women, or less aspirations. Thank you very much, Glastonbury. Thank you for inviting me here today. I'm proud to be here. Thank you very much, Glastonbury.
2: Yes, that was Jeremy Corbyn's Glastow speech. You know, if you are all sort of cheering right now, then you may be even more excited, actually, because we're going to have a more of a debate on immigration. And now I've got Sundar Katwala from British Future in the studio. Hello. And Carl Sharo, the commentator, satirist, and general raconteur. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Um, but So first off, uh, I just wanted to wonder, to Carl... Recently, the the immigration debate has been sort of thrust into the open by Europe's struggle to deal with refugees, this migration crisis in that sense. I mean, do you feel that sort of Britain handled this well in a sense?
5: I think historically, Britain has handled immigration quite well. And in recent years, I think. You know I feel I'm an immigrant myself. Mm. I feel very welcome over here. I've made my life for myself. I think where the failure has come historically in the politicians and elites standing up for immigration and then uh, uh, you know alleviating the concerns of people who who felt maybe competition or who were marginalized in one way or another because of Immigration. So I think the problem really has been uh, the lack of willingness to talk about it openly and Mm. stand up for it and defend it and, and kind of create policies that might ameliorate any negative. Uh, impact that it has But it was left of Germany to lead the way on this Britain kind of twiddled its thumbs uh, I I, I think I'm I'm not convinced of the narrative out there that uh, sort of Germany took a moral stand and leadership on the position. I think it was quite a pragmatic decision by Angela Merkel that was done in a highly undemocratic manner much like a lot of her decisions and i don't think that's necessarily um, it it, it did work out under the circumstances but Mm. that's not necessarily the way uh, policies like that should be handled there should be more debate and there should be more engagement and ultimately the decisions need to be taken on a democratic uh, basis otherwise we're storing problems up for the future and if we kind of try to avoid it or resolve it in a knee-jerk way uh, undemocratically. So I think, yes, In at, at the moment when particularly the Syrian refugee crisis was intensified, Britain seemed to be uh, quite defensive and, and, and kind of narrow-minded to a certain extent. We didn't even let uh, small unaccompanied uh, children come into Britain. So we came across as mean-spirited, which doesn't reflect, uh, you know, the last... 15 20 years what's been happening in this country and the openness of this country mm. so yes there was a there was a setback but all the more reason to re-engage with the topic and kind of try to defend we've made a wonderful uh, thing here in britain it's a diverse multicultural open society and we need to stand up for that
2: but then sunday do, do you agree i mean do you think we were mean-spirited uh, or perhaps you understand why there was this sort of anxiousness just uh echo merkel and you know throw the gates open to them
6: I think if you ask why didn't Britain do more, Hmm. there was quite a lot of empathy. People saw um, the case of Ali and Kurdi in particular. And so quite a lot of people wanted to do more. Other people felt quite anxious and conflicted about whether we could. And that's because of the broader debate we're having about immigration in Britain. And I think Hmm. people have quite a strong sense that immigration has been part of this country over the generations, over the decades, where we've got a problem more recently, is that the public have lost confidence in how their governments handle that, partly because the Labour governments were perceived, I think, correctly not to have expected the large-scale European migration we got after 2004 from Poland and other countries, therefore not to prepare, not to plan for it. Hmm. We then got a Conservative government that said, well, that is too high, we agree with you completely, that will be coming Right down and you know every quarter for seven years that doesn't happen so a a broken promise to really crack down on it just again tells you the government's uh, not got a grip and Mm. so that is a big part of Brexit I think people make quite a big distinction between actually a lot of frustration and anxiety about governments dropping the ball and the people they know and they meet. And we know that, you know, the people who meet or know immigrants or live in places with more immigration, you know, in London or Manchester mm. were, were much keener to stand the opinion, were not voting on immigration. It's their lived experience. Mm. But in places where there had been very fast change and people think, thought the government hadn't got a grip on it, which Boston-Lincolnshire becomes the typical example, people just feel it wasn't handled well. So there's great empathy, I think, towards Syrians on television. You think, they could be my children. Mm. But you need a government to say, this is how we handle it. Yeah. Here's the plan for the local impact um, and, you know, a much more local response, actually, to the contact you want people who come into this country to have with the people they're joining to live
2: with. Because mm, it, it does seem also in the, in the public policy debate uh, in, in Britain that the conservative minded folk, they sort of say, well, we, you know, we should listen to people's concerns on immig- immigration. And then anyone who's sort of liberal then gets sort of shouted down saying, again, you need to listen to their concerns, you know, so, but then that's easy to say. But then how re- what, what really should a centrist and moderate response be, in a sense?
6: I think I think it actually has to start with actually having the confidence to go and talk and listen to people and think you can do it. So make interesting evidence this week in the British social attitudes that shows mm. that every country is polarised between, you know, if you're a young liberal graduate who lives in a big city, you like immigration. If you left school without qualifications 50 years ago, you feel that the change has been too fast. But Britain has that polarisation more strongly than anybody else, and I think Brexit has really reinforced that, so we're going to have those debates Mm. in a very polarised way, but I'm also interested in who bridges that gap, how do you actually have the conversation, actually although that's a sort of immigration is good economically and culturally or I'm really worried about it debate, people with those views actually agree on quite a lot about Mm. what makes immigration Mm. work. People do need to speak the language. We should support that. Integration and contact's good. Contribution is good. One thing we've been doing at the moment is something called the National Conversation on Immigration. We're going to 60 towns and cities and having a, not what gets your goat up about this, but what should we do next? And there's Mm. a lot more consensus, actually, in many ways on what we do next, that we protect the Europeans who are here. We continue to welcome skills. Mm. We would like more control over the choices of um, how many low and semi-skilled workers can come in at once in particular ways what is business doing about training that goes with that so actually people can agree on policy even though they're culturally different ends of this my country's changing too fast or you know mm. like let's get on with it it's the modern world now.
2: So do you think then Carl that w- with Brexit there's not there's a sign that Britain's can become more splintered or can we actually sort of have a reassessment of what it means to sort of look outwards towards the world and actually uh, be-
5: rationalise things? I I think I'm absolutely one of those that think, uh, you know, whether you voted remain or leave, we are in this position now and we have to be quite positive about how we shape our future as a country, mm. and part, a big part of that is our attitude to countries abroad and our attitude to immigration, our attitude to the movement of labor. And then you could look at some kind of the, the fog around the debate now when, for example, a principle like freedom of movement is discussed. We don't actually have a universal freedom of movement. We have freedom of movement within the EU, mm. which tends to kind of... Disadvantage, let's say, immigrants from or, or or laborers that want to come from other countries in the world, and what we've got to say now. I think those of us, at least, of a more progressive uh, mindset, is this is the opportunity to kind of create an, a more open policy mm-hmm. rather than withdrawing and closing down the borders. We should kind of encourage this relationship that historically we have, you know, with India, with Pakistan, with China, with other countries in the world, and kind of try to create a more uh, effective in lightened immigration policy but not to kind of treat the Brexit as if it's the end and we need to now do- do- close down the walls because the debate is only just starting. The mm. debate about what the future of Britain will be is literally just starting now. Now it needs to happen mm. in a political way. So there needs to be a political program because it's linked to the economic models that we're going to employ. It's mm. linked to all manners of policy aspect. That's why it needs to be conducted in a, in a political manner and we need to see visions, positive visions about what Britain would be. And there are visions already emerging
2: yet um, it seems that Brexit for some people, at least on the right, seems to mean that we can sort of turn into Australia the sort of stop the boats, Tony Abbott stuff, send them to Cambodia, you know, let's really vet everyone. There are dangers in a sense. Uh, opportunities.
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. There are very big dangers and this is why I think the responsibility is on us now to kind of provide a a rebuttal in the form of a positive vision of how we shape that. We we kind of celebrate not just uh, 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 at a rhetorical level the role of immigrants but in terms of all aspects of all their contributions but also how much of an impact they will make going forward to the future. So I'll give you an example. I, I work at an architecture practice and if we had to kind of close down the wall are not able to recruit people from abroad. Our business will suffer hugely and there 's hmm. two aspects to that there 's the aspect of training you know the local population but there 's also there 's this dynamism of having you know the best talents out there come and contribute to economy that is a positive thing. And so the report for me is not to kind of uh, turn this into just a uh, moral debate where we're the good guys and the people, the other side wants to close down the borders mm. because because no, that's not how no it should one be, does be contacted. And, them I, and yeah. I don't think that's necessarily, I think the danger and Theresa May in particular wanted to kind of turn the Brexit vote into almost like a referendum on immigration, which is wasn't. And I think that was quite disingenuous. And I think now is a moment to correct that and say, the question on the ballot wasn't do you favour immigration or not, it was about membership of the European Union so let not, not all assume that this was a, a referendum on immigration and we're going to have to stop immigration now mm. no, now we have a bigger challenge in terms of making this positive case but also it's a case about putting forward a very positive future for Britain. Because you're right actually, there are people on the Brexit
2: side, the um, sort of Daniel Hannan and folk mm. who do sort of say this means we can t- embrace the Commonwealth we can actually, if necessary, have great immigration but it's on our terms crucially. But then Sunday, um what's intriguing though is that as soon as I say that you know people on the other corners of course, the right will say yeah, but you're betraying everyone and you know this is sort of open borders madness and And I think it's because, no, isn't there, this perception with people. There's bad migration, there's good migration. And so just as one might then say, hang on, you know, but if you you open the, close the borders, rather, uh, the NHS will collapse and all sorts of public services will go under, in a sense, you know, because we rely on them. It sounds too much like moralising, in a sense, when they probably know someone who lost their job, perhaps, you know, to to cheap labour, in a sense. How do you moderate, how do you sort of... Talk. Uh, so, how do you bridge the divide?
6: I think it is very polarised, you know, having the symbolic, you know, do you like change or do you fear change? You actually get to the so what should we do now. Hmm. People feel they haven't had a voice, they haven't had um, choices, and they see it as a reset moment and so they'll expect something to change. I would like to see that as an opportunity to rebuild that confidence in the contribution that immigration makes by really taking seriously that desire to have some choice and some change. So if we now say, oh because you know the banks want the single market actually like it or lump it anyway, nothing's going to change, hmm. I think we'll see the frustration hmm. um, uh, bubble up again. If you go through the choices people want to make, the question is, is it is it control and choice or is it a crackdown and much less of everything? Hmm. People don't want to cut skilled immigration. They're don't want to cut uh, student immigration at all and Theresa May sort of felt they did I think which was odd they do want to reduce the pace of low-skilled immigration and yet they know that care homes need staff fruit needs picking so they want to have a way to manage that and they want to manage the impacts better and there's a lot of convergence on that that will frustrate people who want to be proved right. Mm -hmm. Your sort of strongest Liberal Democrats and your UKIPers want the other side to admit that they were wrong about everything but actually um, across the middle of the referendum among the 16 and 17 million actually the sort
4: of
6: 15 million in the middle Mm. kind of see it as a chance to strike the balance. There are pressures of immigration, there are gains of immigration. We could keep those gains and actually mm. the treatment of the Europeans here is the first sort of big genuinely ethical judgment as well as practical judgment of mm-hmm. how we do that and that turns out to be something on which you know 84% of us agree rather than 48
2: Interesting. Well I guess slowly but surely we will hopefully find that sort of moderate balance as the Brexit negotiations go on. Although um, I'm afraid it's sort of well, I have to draw this debate to a close as fascinating as it has been. So thank you so much Sundar Katwala of the British future think tank and Carl Sharo as a sort of Middle East commentator. Thank you very much. Thank you. And so coming up next, I'll be speaking to MEP David Campbell-Bannerman. But first, our reporters took to the streets of Islington, where Fubar Radio is based, to ask what the general public think of immigration. And I think it's safe to say this poll might be indicative of Islington, but perhaps not the rest of the country. Um, I think it's a very tricky topic. I think that there's a lot of issues around it that aren't fully understood, and I think that there's um, a lot of positives and a lot of negatives to immigration. Um, but I think, as a as a voter, I'm assuming this is to do with the most recent election. Um, I think it's a very dis- difficult issue to see the kind of the raw facts of, and I think the media does a very bad job of educating most people about the pros and cons of the issue. I don't
6: know the details of the policy enough to comment on that, really. Um, I know we need
7: immigration. Uh, For economic reasons, I live in London, so... I enjoy the multicultural aspect of it. I'm also aware that there
6: are parts of the country where people are terrified of immigration and terrified of people who don't look like them
7: or sound like them. But I've lived in London for 20-odd years, so I'm perfectly comfortable with it.
4: I think the more we can come and go, the better. I think it's it's great that people come from all over the
6: world to the UK. I've got lots of friends who come from other countries. I'm the daughter of an immigrant. And uh, my friends who are here do amazing jobs in the public sector and private sector. And uh, we're in London they bring diversity and uh, make London an altogether exciting and interesting place to live
7: Um, I'm an immigrant so um, I think it's positive I think it brings a lot more interest and positive change to all of us whether where we're coming from or the effects that we have on the people when when we arrive so things like pubs changing to gastropubs going from just tea and coffee to cappuccino white bread to baguettes so it's been a real nice cultural mix, um, languages, food, music. So I think it's really positive.
6: Uh, I'm pretty much clear on this. I I, I believe that London is a a place which is really rich in diversity and if we curb immigration, we stand to lose
2: our essence. So really, the more the merrier. FUBAR Radio
1: presents... FUBAR Radio presents... Politics on FUBAR...
2: Welcome back to Politics on FUBAR. Um, It's Asa Bennett here, and I've got the pleasure to have David Campbell-Bannerman on the line. Hello. Hi, Aza. How are you, Wonderful to hear from you now. Thank you much. I was in the middle of uh, embodying what people would sort of talk about if they were sort of hard uh, border fans who wanted us to clamp down immigration. So, I can't resist asking actually, then, you know, as a seasoned Brexiteer who is excited (laughs) now to be losing his job in two years' time, (laughs) you know, Britain getting its independence, do you feel, I mean, do you want even Britain to have immigration go down or up
7: oh i want it to go down definitely it's what the uh, british people want hmm. it's not uh, it's important to understand you know immigration is a good thing we're not really arguing that point but you do need to control the numbers i mean uh, two reports just this week uh, where well, we had the population rise of over half a million hmm. uh, in the last year um, and one in 10 people in this country are now foreign now you know, as I say, I welcome a lot of that, but it's about numbers. It's about managing the numbers. It's a management thing, not a sort of trying uh, kind to of bring an end to immigration. Uh, and I think people really want to see that because our population is rising at a huge rate. Hmm. And we can't uh, provide enough schools or hospitals or roads to, to meet that need.
2: But then um, some, some of your colleagues, like Daniel Hannan, he doesn't mind actually if it goes up instead.
7: Well, Dan has a different view. He's more of an economic liberal than uh, I am. You know, I understand the, mm. the reality of that. But, but doesn't the problem it is when
2: some of one of you is going to be very unhappy in two years'
7: time? <laughs> well, well, I think Dan is pretty happy as I am with Brexit. Yeah, this is an area different uh, in terms of the scale of immigration. I do think it needs management and control. I mean, if we lived in a sort of perfect world where we, all the economies around the world were about the same, hmm. you wouldn't have the issue. And In fact, when we first started in the EEC with six nations uh, and it went from there, there wasn't really much of an issue. But... Since 2004, our population has gone up about seven million, um, and uh, this has created real pressure on our public services, particularly London and the South East. Uh, and I think it has become a massive issue. You know, we cannot build two uh, a Birmingham for only two years. Mm. That's the rate we're going. We're, we're having to build um, a house for an immigrant every five minutes. Um, And I think the British people just say, look, hang on a minute, you know, we do like immigration, but we want to manage the numbers.
2: But then in terms of what Brexit can do to answer that, um, now as someone who sort of went from the Conservatives to UKIP and back again, you'd understand better than many sort of what Led people, you know, for supporting the Conservatives to be disaffected, annoyed, and then to, I know that you returned because you thought that, right, you know, we're serious about getting a referendum. The Conservatives are yeah. the best bet of getting Britain out of the European Union. However, your yeah. old, your old um, colleagues in UKIP, what's left of it, the sort of the husk that remains these days, mm. they insist actually that, you know, they, they will come back with a vengeance because there's going to be betrayal, there's going to be fudge, compromise, and that, that means you know, you, voters and people like you may well come back. Do you think that? Right?
7: Well, it, it's possible. I think, though, the future of UKIP is to take Labour voters and, and working class So it's possible there'll be betrayal and fraud. You're saying? Well, no, I'm not saying that, but I think that's, way, that's the only future for UKIP. Mm. Um, um, I don't think there's going to be a betrayal and fudge. I mean, I think there will be a vigorous debate on the type of immigration policy we're going to put forward. Obviously, there's an immigration bill. there's one of the eight Brexit bills. Mm. Uh, that will give a bit more detail, but it's probably more of a framework. Um, I mean, all we're really saying is that let's have a similar immigration system to Australia or Canada or United States, which obviously they all welcome um, immigrants coming into the nation, but they do manage the numbers far better than we do. Hmm. We have an opportunity post-Brexit, I mean, to date, we've only been able to control half our immigration. So we've been over tough on Indian students Hmm. uh, or Australians or Canadians you know we can rebalance our immigration systems that's actually fairer to non-EU but then
2: that's the goal of course but then in terms of getting there and getting everything sort of having a big audacious you know good Brexit deal um, it's sort of curious because everyone seems to there's a whole narrative of who has the cards who has the better hand you know what can we trade away in a sense now Theresa May obviously I'm sure you've studied the Lancaster House speech you know as well Uh, there was a lovely line in there where she said sort of this will require creative thinking on both sides you know there will be sort of compromise is necessary so and obviously you're saying it is possible that there'll be sort of compromise that leads to sort of disaffected people you know running off um what 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 do you think britain would have to or may end up having to trade away
7: well i think it's it's firstly it's worth saying that look it we have had immigration under control in the past in the 1990s it was under control it wasn't really an issue Hmm. um and what we're saying is let's get back to those kind of levels trade
2: away for a good brexit
7: well, I don't think we'll have to trade away. Look, we're, we're taking Theresa May says she's, amazed, so she's ready to. She's ready. Well, there's negotiations will go on. But, I mean, you know, we are being a sovereign, independent nation. And mm-hmm. a lot of this actually isn't relevant to the Brexit talks. And it is when it comes to EU citizens and their rights, etc. And, I, you know, I welcome the generous package we've offered on that. But, you know, a lot of this is about, well, you know, what, who do we let in? What, mm. what skills shortages are there? But do you think the can, trade can we will we come in the form of
2: money? People. We'll just have to pay them. We'll have to cross their hands with silver. Make no, them...
7: I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any – look, you know, they want access to our market. We mm. are their largest trading customer. We have to stop talking ourselves down that, you know, they're going to do us a big favor. You don't deal that way. What you're mm. going to say is, look – um, the EU wants access to our markets. We're the fifth largest kind in the world. We're the largest trading partner. They want to come and study in Britain, etc. So, look, let's do a deal that works both ways. And, you know, I want the EU to get a good deal as well. You know, we've got to be friends and neighbours. But. Mm. But I, I don't think, you know, throwing cash around is, is the right way. I mean, how much are they going to pay for our market, for access to our market? If you get we'll into have that. to see.
2: Although I'm um, afraid I might have to butt in there because I, I, actually I would love to obviously talk to you for as long as practically the Brexit negotiations are going on. But I'm afraid okay. I have to <laughs> wind up because the show is nearing its end. So, yeah, David, Campbell enough, Bundler, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Till next time. I'll see you from you. Bye now. And so yes, that was uh, DCB, as he's known in the European Parliament. And uh, so, in the meantime, another acronym of sorts, I, I thought I'd present. You know, in order to wind things up, there's no finer way to do so than with MIA and uh, the song Borders. So, thank you very much for listening and to play us out.
5: Here we are. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.